common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. We are going to be talking right now, though, with Professor Alan Dershowitz, because there is huge news that just broke that Manhattan D.A., Alvin Bragg is now, get this, he is suing the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, and uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, who has a great new book out called Get Trump, uh, joins us now here on Cats and Cosby. Professor Dershowitz, you can't make this up. Uh, they're all suing each other. What do you make of this lawsuit? Well, first of all, please send Mike Pompeo my best. He was uh, a great student in my first year class in criminal law. A hundred years ago, and I'm very proud of him. And it was Mike Pompeo who I patted on the shoulder, and Larry David saw it and screamed at me and said, "Oh my God, you congratulated Mike Pompeo! I could never talk to you again." That shows you how divided our country is. So, uh, send my very best to Mike Pompeo. He's a great yeah, man. He's a very, very decent individual. He was number one in his class in West Point, and. Yeah. Uh, and very decent individual, very religious individual. Yeah, and smart guy. I can't yeah, wait I to say, talk brilliant, with him. Brilliant. And yeah, today of all days. And, 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 and we're going to talk to him about the, uh, Professor Dershowitz. The world is a mess. I mean, uh, Saudi Arabia has ratcheted up uh, United Arab Emirates uh, to go yeah. with them, with the evil empire, with China. And uh, also Egypt was going to sell rockets to Russia to attack the Ukraine. I mean, this is one big mess we have here. It's a mess. It's it a is mess. a total mess. But let's focus for a minute. Let's fo- on the focus on, uh, on the, the law. Lawsuit. On the lawsuit. Okay, so here, I want you to imagine the following. Imagine that it's 1960, and in the South, um, Jim Crow prosecutors are prosecuting civil rights workers. And the democratically controlled House committee says, you know, we're going to subpoena these folks because they're violating the U.S. Constitution. Would any Democrat complain about that? Of course not. So Jim Jordan, look, I don't vote for people like that, but Jim Jordan is subpoenaing people to check on on Bragg. Uh, That has implications for American foreign policy. The head of El Salvador recently said, don't lecture us on democracy. If you have a New York prosecutor trying to put in jail and stop from running against our current president, a man who's, you know, uh, trying to beat him, that's Banana Republic. So I, I don't think that Jim Jordan will lose his case against Bragg. But you never know with a New York judge. But uh, in the end, I think probably Congress does have the power to look into whether or not local prosecutions or having an impact on American foreign policy and the Constitution, whether that's the right committee to do it. You know, I leave that to Congress. But it's an interesting issue. It's an interesting tactic that is being used by Republicans, and I'm sure the Democrats will use it as well. Professor, this is Craig Eaton. I mean, Congress has an absolute right to investigate and an absolute right to hear Bragg and his reasoning for bringing this ridiculous lawsuit. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And whether or not it has an impact on American un-American foreign policy. And uh, he also has the right to call people who wrote a book about it. If you write a book about something, uh, you're exposing it to the public view, and then Congress has the right to to call you. You can't, what privilege are you going to invoke? You have no executive privilege. You have no Fifth Amendment privilege. So um, I suspect in the end, 
um, these hearings will go on. And, you know, obviously they're politically motivated. Everything today is politically motivated, and that's a tragedy. But, uh, you know, tit for tat, you fight fire with fire, and that's going to be the end result. There's going to be politics on both sides. Look, the prosecution is clearly political. If this guy's name was not Donald Trump and it wasn't New York City, there isn't a chance in the world that there would be a prosecution based on the uh, facts that were alleged in that non-indictment. You know, you talk about an indictment. I've read it now a dozen times. It's not an indictment. It's a list of checks. It's a list of invoices in search of a legal theory. But there is no legal theory. It's not a real indictment. Governor Pataki? Uh, Professor, you're absolutely right about that. And uh, uh, I think this is fascinating, the uh, Jordan effort to subpoena uh, Bragg. Uh, One of the things that I'm really interested in is, what motivated Bragg to bring these charges? You know, we're, can we or can Jordan access emails, correspondence, things where people may have been saying, you know, all right, you took a pass, but look at this because this is important politically for us to do. So I'm concerned about the motivation when it was passed by uh, so many others and passed by Bragg apparently initially as well. And then finally, for whatever reason, what motivated him to bring this action? Yeah, no, you're right. That's a very interesting point, because probably Trump and his lawyers can't get to those emails because motive is not a defense. Bad motive is generally not a defense to a criminal charge. But if Congress has authority under the Supremacy Clause to make sure that the Constitution is not being violated by state prosecutions, as they did during the civil rights period, when Local civil rights workers like me were being targeted, targeted by by former Klansmen, sometimes current Klansmen who were in the police department and who were Jim Crow prosecutors. Certainly the federal government had authority over that. And although I don't want to ever compare the, you know, Ku Klux Klan South with New York City in terms of the fairness, there is a comparison. And so you can't get a fair trial in New York City if your name is Donald Trump any more than you could get a fair trial in the South if you were a civil rights worker. Now, the the next question is, Congress is trying to drum up ethics for the Supreme Court. Does Congress regulate the Supreme Court? Well, the Supreme Court is an independent institution of government. But Congress does have some power. It can limit the jurisdiction. For example, Congress determines the number of justices there are. There's nothing in the Constitution that says nine. Congress could say 12. That's what the Democrats want. The Democrats want to pack the court. Who do you think would pack the court? It would be Congress that packed the court. So, yes, Congress does have some authority. Now, Chief Justice Roberts says maybe they don't have the authority to give us ethics rules, but uh, I think he's wrong about that. I think they do have the authority to give ethics rules. Um, They don't have the authority to cut back the number of justices who are now sitting because they have lifetime appointments. But they could cut back the number of justices to seven if they want to and say the next two vacancies shouldn't be filled. So Congress does have considerable authority over the Supreme Court, even though the Supreme Court is an independent third branch of government. And Judge Weinberg? Professor Dershowitz, I want to raise another issue with you, which is the call by many Democrats telling the executive branch of government to ignore the district court judge's decision in Texas on a, on abortion, whether you think it was a right decision or a wrong decision. This is supposed to be the party calls for uh, for respecting the, the boundaries of law, and yet they're saying ignore 
federal district court judge's ruling. What do you say about that? Well, that's one or two members of Congress. And, you know, they're renegade members of Congress. And she's wrong, AOC, in saying that. That was what people in the South, again, said in the 1960s. If you don't like a decision integrating a school in the South, ignore it. You can't do that if you live under the rule of law. Isn't that the nullification doctrine, which was rejected? It's the nullification doctrine, yes. And then Biden went out of his way yesterday to commend and say hello to Ilhan Omer, the the racist, anti-Semitic bigot from Minnesota, who was a Democratic member of Congress. And, you know, I voted for Biden, but shame on him for singling out her for praise. praise. She deserves condemnation. Professor, I just want to go back to what the governor said about the investigation and discovery. You know, the subpoena of Mark Pomerantz is going to get very interesting because the Mark Pomerantz left the DA's office over Bragg's reluctance to proceed against Trump in the finance indictment. There's going to be a lot of discovery that's going to come out, emails between them, information between them, documents. It's going to be very um, interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah, just well, what Pataki was saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Say names. Don't we got a possibly a million people listening? Who, okay. They don't know who Pomerantz yeah, is. Yeah, Pomerantz well, is well, the former DA. He was, he was a former ADA. Uh, in, in just explain it to the people so uh, people understand what the yes. heck you're talking about. You got it. And uh, a very pro- good, professor. And a very good. Yes. Yeah, he, he he had a very good reputation, Pomerantz, but he should never have written a book about a case that hadn't yet been brought giving the background about that case. Now that he's done that, he's opened himself up to hearings. He may have opened himself up to be subpoenaed in the actual criminal trial itself. That's possible. If I'm Trump's, if I were Trump's lawyer, which I'm not, I would think about that. Aren't there ethical issues as well for Pomerantz using inside information when he was in the DA's office to write a book? Well, I think he was very clear not to use uh, grand jury material because that would be a crime. Using information that he learned in the DA's office raises ethical problems, but not necessarily criminal ones. Well, I can't wait if there are emails or correspondence. It it, it goes back to what we talked about last week, uh, Professor, is what happened to the ethics courses in law school? (laughs) Well, one of the reasons I wrote my book, Get Trump, which, by the way, was the Amazon bestseller over the weekend. Oh, congrats. Thanks. But one of the reasons I wrote that is to return us to the days where legal ethics matter, where prosecutors do things under the pursuit of legal ethics, not partisan politics. So who is going to regulate that? Is it the bar associations of each state governor? Does the bar association of each state? The bar association does, but I think they have also developed this uh, political bent and, and see things Less than uh, straightened down the middle. So, what did Rudy Giuliani do wrong? And he took away his his license to practice law without without, without due process. Without, yeah, without that was after all the Trump stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Without yeah. a hearing. Yeah. Without yeah. a hearing. Yeah. And in yeah. both but states, you know, New York and D.C., they went after the in the, bar, the District of Columbia, rather. The bar association rule ought to be that no prosecutor can ever run for office on the promise of getting somebody. And that should be something Democrats and Republicans agree with. Well, Professor, Professor, I thought we should actually have a law saying that prosecutors have to have a a cooling-off period, say six or eight years, before they can run for a different office. Because too often, instead of seeking justice, they seek heads on the wall so they can use it to run for higher office. Oh, there's no question. Look, if you go to the United States Senate and Congress and count the number of lawyers there, and ask how many of them were former prosecutors. It's the vast majority. Uh, trivial pursuit question. First president in modern times. 
ever to have been a public defender. We're, give us the answer. We're all wondering. Wait, Governor. John Adams. Oh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden was wow. a public defender for a short period of time in Delaware. Well, John, and, John Adams defended the British soldiers. Well, course, Some right. might yeah. say they're acting <laughs> no, the same age, but, you know. <laughs> John, Adams, John Adams charged a fee. He didn't let the, uh, uh, the, the British soldiers uh, take his money. And, and he, got a lot of, he got a lot of pushback for doing it, but it was what he should have done. And he did it right, and he won the case for the most part. He got acquittals for two of them and a. Well, uh, a small verdict for one of them. Professor Dershowitz, thank you uh, so much for coming oh, on. And uh, uh, we we make sure you buy Professor Dershowitz's book. Yeah, Get Trump. A big bestseller. Best 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 on Amazon. The And when you're get buying Trump. Professor Dershowitz's book, buy my book, too. <laughs> And, definitely, uh, definitely. Well, and, uh, you'll get super smart with both you get of them. Super smart. No, you make a billion dollars if you read my book. For, and if That's you read it twice, yeah. you make two billion. And what if you get Professor Dershowitz's book? What do you make, John, at that you point? You money. get some you ethics. Know, you, <laughs> you get values and ethics. Good point. You definitely lose money and you lose friends if you read my book. That, no thank way. you. <laughs>